0: So we're continuing our series on personal problems and this evening we're going to look at pain and suffering and I'm going to do an overview of the book of Job. Let's pray. Our Father, we turn to you as the Lord of glory, as the Father of glory, as the righteous and holy Father. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the God and Father of all those who trust in you through your beloved Son. There is one mediator between us and you, the man Christ Jesus. And we bow before you in adoration and worship the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and pray that you would now open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law Amen In 1994 a group of men walked into St. James Church in Kenilworth in Cape Town and killed 11 of the church members and wounded 58 In 1967 the 17 year old Johnny Erickson dove into a shallow pool not knowing it was so shallow and broke her neck and she's been a quadriplegic for 57 years in the past week robbers walked into a house in Milder's Drift, tied up the father, raped the 46 year old mother and her 15 and 11 year old daughters suffering is a very tragic part of a post Genesis 3 world, or a Genesis 3 world, a fallen world. A post-Garden of Eden world. So we should expect suffering. Sometime or another it's going to come. For all of us uh, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. We've been destined to suffer. We've been called to suffer, to follow in the footsteps of Christ. We shouldn't be surprised at suffering. And all those statements I just made are from various Bible verses, Acts 14, 22, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, 1 Peter 2, 21, and 4, verse 12. So the great question then is, how do you make sense of suffering? How do we make sense of pain and suffering? Well, unbelievers, some unbelievers will tell you suffering doesn't exist. It's an illusion, like the Christian science movement. Or others will say, well, suffering does exist, but you just need to deal with it. Grin and bear it. Cowboys don't cry. You know, stiff upper lip kind of thing. And others will say, well, the fact that there's suffering in the world obviously shows God doesn't exist. Well, at least not the God of the Bible, because if God is good, then there wouldn't have been all this suffering. Or perhaps you say he's good, but then it proves he's not almighty. He can't do anything about it. Or on the other hand, he's almighty, but he's evil. If God were both good and almighty, then he would have stopped the suffering. Well, obviously that's not a biblical answer. Job, the book of Job gives us a much better answer. So first of all, we're going to look at the tragedy, and that's in verse, uh, chapters 1 and 2. So Job is from the land of Uz, 1 verse 1 tells us, and that is uh, probably somewhere in northwest, modern northwest Saudi Arabia, as we read in um, Lamentations 4, verse 21, it says it speaks of us being close to the, the land of Edom, and we know where the land of Edom was. And Job lived after the days of Noah. And we we know that from the Bible because in Job twelve, twenty three we read of nations. And as we know from the book of Genesis, nations the nations only started existing after Noah in Genesis 10, verse 23. Job lived more or less in the time of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the way we know that is, we know that from Job 42 in verse 11, where Job's brothers, they bring him a piece of money. And the Hebrew word there is kesita. You can even see that in the ESV footnote. That Hebrew word kesita, that currency, is found only in two other places in scripture, and both of those references refer to money that Jacob used. And that's in Genesis 33 verse 19, and then in Joshua 24 verse 32, referring back to Jacob, who used kesita. That was the currency in that time. So Job is a real person, an historical he's a, he's a, an historical person. Um, he's not a myth or some legend or a parable like, my Greek professor believed. Because if Job is just a parable and not an historical person, well, then, then a verse like James 5, verse 11, that encourages people who suffer and said, remember Job. That doesn't help. How does it encourage someone who's suffering saying, don't worry, don't worry, Goldilocks also suffered. Don't worry, the gummy bears also had it hard. That doesn't encourage people if you try and encourage them from stories. Job was a, a historical person. He was not an Israelite, he was a Gentile, and his name means one who is persecuted, or one who is hated. We learn from verse 1 that he, and verse 8 that he lived an upright life, chapter 2 verse 3 also, he was a righteous man, he feared God, he turned away from evil. Ezekiel 14 verse 14 compares him to Noah and to Daniel who were righteous people, and he was the richest in the east. It says in chapter one, in verse three, he had ten children. Verse two, and he would bring sacrifices for his children, bring these sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of his children every morning. He would pray for his children, just for in case, for in case they had cursed God in their hearts. We learn from one five. And then something happens. Something happens behind the scenes in chapters one and two, and. This is something that Job does not know about. So in chapter 1, verse 6 and, and following, we, we read of the sons of God, these angelic or heavenly beings who appear before God. It's like they have to report for duty or they, they have to, uh, they're accountable to God. And then Satan is among them, the accuser. And he starts accusing Job. Well, really, God starts the conversation. Have you seen my servant Job? He's... He's a man who fears me, he's righteous, he turns away from evil. And then Satan says, yes, but he only does that because you give him stuff. It's because you give him money, you give him riches, you give him wealth. If you were to take those things away, he would curse you to your face. And then God says, well, everything he has is in your hand. The only thing is you may not touch him. And then Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord. In chapter 2 again, same conversation. And then God says, you can touch him, but you may not take his life. And then after these encounters, after these conversations, the dialogue in heaven, all of a sudden these trials come. It comes like wave upon wave like I experienced when I was nine years old in Richard's Bay, swimming in the sea. And I ducked for the first wave, not seeing that there were two waves coming after that wave and they, it's like they pounded me, one upon the other. The waves pounded me and tossed me and turned me under the water. I was anxious and afraid. And so Job's trials come like waves pounding him. First the Sabeans come, in verse fourteen and fifteen. They they from the south. They come from the south from Yemen. That's where Sheba is, and they take the donkeys and the oxen and they slaughter the slaves. And then lightning comes from the west, where the Red Sea is. That's where storms would come from. Lightning comes, fire from God, and it, it burns up the sheep, all the sheep, all the slaves in verse 16. And then the Chaldeans, they, they come from the north. Although they're east of us, they would not come through the desert. They would come through the Fertile Crescent and then come down from the north. The Chaldeans come, and they take the camels. And they slaughter the slaves in verse 17, chapter 1. And then you get a wind from the wilderness, which is in the east. Hosea 13, verse 15 also. This east wind coming from the desert. And it strikes the house and it it makes the house collapse. And all ten of Job's children die. Chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. So you've got trouble from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And then in chapter 2, uh, Job gets these sores. And the sores, they, all the pus runs out of them and there are worms in the sores uh, and his skin becomes black and then the skin hardens uh, and then it breaks open again. The wounds are fresh again and his bones are burning like fire. And we learn that from chapter 2, 7 and 8, chapter 7, verse 5 and 30, verse 30. All of these describe the detail of what these boils were like. And then Satan also tempts him in chapter 2 through his wife. Curse God and die, she says, verse 9. Now actually, chapter 2, verse 5, Satan said to God, Job will curse you to your face. So it's Satan tempting Job through his wife in verse 9 when she says, curse God and die. So what do we learn from this, these first two chapters? Well, we learn that God is sovereign over our trials, over our suffering. Because nothing, nothing can happen outside of God's control. It's God who said to Satan, thus far you may go and no further. Ephesians 1.11 speaks of God working all things according to the counsel of His will. Another lesson we take from these two chapters is Satan is not sovereign. Satan is not sovereign over your trials. Satan is accountable to God. God says, thus far and no further. And then He has to report for duty again and God asks Him, where have you been? And He can't say, it's none of your business. He has to report. So Satan cannot do as he pleases. He can only do as God permits. And the third lesson we take is, we do not see behind the scenes. So you and I, we simply cannot make an accurate assessment and summary of our trials, of our suffering. Because we don't know what happens behind the scenes. Like you see here, Job didn't know what happened in heaven. So we simply need to trust and say when we, go, when we pass through the rivers, the Lord will be with us. The waters will not drown us and the fire will not scorch us and burn us up. God will never leave us nor forsake us. We need to hold fast and hold on to such promises. Secondly, we're going to look at the struggle. The struggle, that's in verse 3 to 37. It's really, it's more kind of a, an inward struggle here. Chapters 3 to 37. So this deep depression comes on Job in chapter 3. And he curses. But he does not curse God as Satan said he would. He curses the day of his own birth. He wishes he'd never been born. Even in chapter 10 we see that verse 18 and 19. He just wishes he would die. And he wonders, he wonders, Why didn't it help that I lived a righteous life? It's like it meant nothing. It's like it meant nothing that I prayed for my children every day. Chapter 3, verse 21. He says he longs for death, but it won't come. Verse 25. The thing I fear comes upon me. What I dread befalls me. He feared that his children might have done something wrong and God will punish them. And now it happens. His children all die. And now he wishes he were dead. You know, that's, I think that's the most difficult part of any trial, is when something happens to you, and that something that happens simply does not fit the way you understand God and the Bible. So you don't have a theological category for it. You, you cannot make sense of this. That's exactly what happens to Job. And then things become worse. So the friends who have come to really comfort him, verse, chapter 2, verse 11, well, now suddenly these friends start criticizing him. And they speak for three rounds. It's like they've got him in the boxing ring for three rounds. And Job answers them. And they, they, they accuse him falsely and they're sarcastic and they're insensitive. And then Job himself, well, he answers, but he, he's not always right either. So the first round, we have Eliphaz in chapters 4 and 5. And I'm just going to summarize it very shortly. He says to Job, well, well, Job, do you want to tell me you're suffering because you fear God? Chapter 4, verse 6. You're not. You're not innocent. Innocent people don't suffer like you do, 4 verse 7. You are, you are reaping, Job, what you have sown, 4 verse 8. And the reason your children died, well, someone cursed them, 5 verse 3 and 4. It's the right, a righteous person cursed your children, and that's why they did. Let me read that, 5 verse 4. His children are far from safety. They're crushed in the gate. There's no one to deliver them. Verse 3, I've seen the full taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. So I cursed him, and that's why his children died. And you know, Job, God, God will restore your prosperity and give you many descendants and a long life if you seek him. 5 verse 19 to 26. And you know how I know all these things, Job? It's because a spirit appeared to me. Chapter 4, 12 to 16, a spirit appeared in the night in dreams and visions. And then furthermore, I know these things because I've done research. 5 verse 27. Listen, don't be insensitive like Eliphaz. Don't be insensitive. That's just prosperity gospel saying, oh, if you do well, things will go well. And if things go badly and poorly in your life and you lose all your stuff and you're not rich and your children die and you're sick, well, it's because you've sinned, you've done something wrong. That's insensitive, insensitive to say such things to people. Oh, you should just speak life. It's because you've spoken death that these things have come. Like a lady in our church um, not long ago, someone, a colleague at work, a colleague said to her, you know why our company is struggling? I had this vision. I was in the heavenly courts, and God told me it's because of you. Well, that's insensitive and not True. And then also don't give answers, don't give textbook answers, don't just theorize, and you've got all, the, all these the, uh, theoretical answers because you've done research, like Eliphaz in 527. We have searched this out, but you haven't, been in that, you haven't been in Job's sandals, have you? So it's easy to give the textbook answers. We've done research. And then Job answers chapter 6 and 7, and he says, it's never going to go well with me again. 7 verse 7, remember my life is a breath, my eye will never again see good. Just leave me, leave me alone, Lord, he asks in 7 verse 12 to the end. Just leave me alone and please let me die in peace. Now, to be sad in trials, in pain and suffering, that's one thing. But to absolutely give up hope, to give up all hope, to despair as Job did or as Jacob did in Genesis 37... After he thought that Joseph was dead. And he wouldn't be comforted by his children. Or by anyone else. And said I'm going to die like this. That's something else. That's something else to be like a lady. That I knew. Her daughter died. In a car accident. And five years after her daughter had died. Four or five years after that. I asked her. So how are you doing? And she said. Well it will probably never go well with me again. That's absolute despair. And I don't want to be insensitive toward people's pain. But yes, you can be sad as a Christian, but to be in absolute despair, that's not Christian. That's saying not even God can help me. Where Paul teaches us rather that we should weep, but not as those who have no hope. And then Bildad, he speaks in chapter 8, and he said, Well, Job, God killed your children because they sinned against him. Chapter 8, verse 4. And if you repent, then God will give you prosperity and wealth again. 8 verse 5 to 7. And you know how I know these things, Job? It's because of the ancients. It's our ancient and wise forefathers who told us these things. 8 verse 8. Don't be like Bildad. Don't be like Bildad and Hindus and Buddhists sitting with crossed legs and meditating and philosophizing about other people's pain and thinking you can write books how they should solve their pain and problems. You should rather shut your mouth And keep quiet if you have not gone through suffering. Only if you have suffered you can really effectively help others. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 and 4. We can comfort others with the comfort with which God has comforted us. And then Job responds in chapters 9 and 10. And he says, what does it help? What does it help? I've tried to live a righteous life, but you just... You, in any case, you're just going to destroy me. You're going to condemn me, God, just because I'm a sinner, and I, I can't do anything. Chapter 9, verse 29 to 31. So please let me die in peace before I just go down into darkness and to the world of the dead, chapter 10, 22 and 20 to22. Listen, Job wasn't right in accusing God. but I want to say this, even if Satan was behind Job's suffering, he acknowledged, at least he acknowledged, God is sovereign over all. So the solution to our suffering does not lie in going to someone to break the curses or to bind demons or to anoint your house with oil to keep out the evil, that is not the solution. The solution is what Job did, although Job was wrong in accusing God, but the solution is to do what Job did, to call upon the sovereign God. Chapter 11, Zophar speaks, and Zophar says, Job, you don't understand the deep things of God. I do, and I know why you're suffering. Chapter 11, verse 7 and 8. If you leave your sin and you call upon God, then things will go well for you. Chapter 11, verse 13 to 19. And then Job replies, responds in chapters 12 to 14. And he says, I know as well as you do that God controls my suffering. Chapter 12, verse 3 and 7 to 25. Chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 13, behold, my eye has seen this. My ear has understood it. What What you know, I also know. Am I inferior to you? I understand God is in control of this. The question is, why? Why does he let me suffer? (coughs) I just wish I could bring my case before God. And I know I will be right. Chapter 13, verse 15 and 18. So let me speak and you answer me, God. Chapter 13, verse 2. Or verse 3. I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue my case with God. Now that, quite frankly, that's arrogant. That's arrogant. So we should be honest with God. We should pour out our heart before God. But don't challenge God. Don't demand answers from God. Even if your psychologist tells you, you, you can be angry with God. You cannot be angry with God. That is sin. Second round of speeches, we find Eliphaz, chapter 15. He speaks first. He says, Job, you are evil. You defy God. And you are suffering and you've lost all your wealth. And your children's house, the house they were in, well, it's become a heap of rubble. Because you're evil. That's why. Chapter 15, verse 20 and 21. And verse 25 to 29. And you know how I know these things, Job? It's because I have more life experience than you. I'm older than you chapter 15 verse 10 both the great and the aged are among us older than your father verse 18 of chapter 15 what my wise men have told us without hiding it from their fathers so that's the truth Job the sin by way of application what you believe about God will determine how you live so we have an example here Job's friends believed that suffering is always God's punishment upon sin And so they despise Job rather than showing sympathy. So it's very important for you and I to have a right view of God. And you find that by meditating and studying the character of Jesus or Psalm 139, 145, Isaiah 40, where you study the attributes of God and meditate on it and pray through it. And then Job responds to Eliphaz in chapter 16 and 17. And he said, Listen, my eyes are red with weeping. 16, verse 16 and 17. And the grave is ready for me. 17, verse 1. And then he ends chapter 17 by saying, There's no hope for me when I die. 17, verse 14. If I say to the pit, You are my father, to the worm, You are my mother, my sister, then where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down? To the bars of Sheol, that's the world of the dead, shall we descend together into the dust? I think that's not a good response to suffering, and I'm not in Job's sandals, but that's not a biblical response. Some people, when they suffer, they just wish to die. I just want to die, I just want to die. And some people even go as far as to start making plans to end their own lives through suicide. So on the one hand, we shouldn't do that, but on the other hand, yes, don't think of death all the time, but on the other hand, don't fear death. Don't fear death and forget that Jesus conquered the grave. The keys of death and Hades are in his hands. Bildad responds (coughs) in chapters 18 and 19, or Bildad speaks, and he said, Job, God has sent these boils, these sores on you because you're wicked. God sends them on wicked people, on the godless. Chapter 18, verse 13. It consumes the parts of his skin, the firstborn of death consumes his limbs. And the reason your children died is because you're evil. You're godless. That's why there are no people left in your house. 18 verse 19. He has no posterity or uh, progeny among his people and no survivor where he used to live. And Job responds in chapter 19 and says, My friends, my friends, my family, my even my own wife, they've forgotten me. 19 verse 13 to 19, I beg you. 19 verse 29, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Don't forget your friends when they suffer. Don't forget them and think, well, they should be over the sadness now and all the trouble they've had. They should be over it. Come on, get over it. Now, perhaps you, you forget your friends after the funeral. Not that you want to forget them, but you don't know what to say. You don't know, what should I say? Should I talk to them? I I don't have words. Well, then say it through your deeds. Send them a gift. Send them a card. Put your hand on their shoulder. WhatsApp a Bible verse. Do something. Don't forget them. Job says, please don't forget me. Have mercy on me, my friends. Zophar speaks in chapter 20. And he says, Job, you've lost everything. You've become sick because you're evil. And it's because you've oppressed poor people. You've oppressed the poor. Chapter 20, verse 19. He has crushed and abandoned the poor. He seized the house that he didn't build. Verse 23. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. The hand of everyone in misery will come against him. And then 28 and 29 The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. So that's why the Sabaeans took your stuff and the Chaldeans. Verse 29, this is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. And you know how I know this, Joe, Zophar says? Because I've got brains. That's logical. Chapter 20, verse 2. Therefore my thoughts answer me, because of my haste within me, I the essentia that insults me, and out of my understanding a spirit answers me. Well, sometimes people do suffer because they sinned, like David in Psalm 32, 38, and 51, but but that's not always the case. So don't just assume, like Zophar did, oh, it's because my reason tells us, my brain tells me this. Don't just assume someone is suffering because of sin. Jesus said to the disciples when they asked, why is this man born blind? "His sin or his parents sin. Jesus said, "None, Neither. Or like a pastor in Nelsprate, I visited a lady who was very, very ill and she would later die of that illness. And another pastor came and said, hi, I'm Pastor so-and-so. Your friend called me and asked, can I visit you? What sin have you done? What sin have you done that you're suffering so? Now, we should rather remember Jesus' words. Those people in... Those Galileans who were killed by Pontius Pilate and their blood was mingled with the sacrifices, did that happen because they were sinners than the rest of you? Or those 18 people, the tower fell on them in Siloam and crushed them, is it because they were sinners? Jesus says no. But if you don't repent, you will all likewise perish. Job responds to his friend in chapter 21. And he says, well, what, what about all the wicked people with whom it goes well? What about all the wicked people, the evil who are prosperous and they're wealthy? What about them, my friends? Tell me. Chapter 21, 7 to 16. You just, You're just speaking a bunch of lies. 21, 34. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left to your answers but falsehood. Third round. Eliphaz starts off again, chapter 22. He says, he says to Job, just leave your greed. You're a greedy man, you like money, you steal money. And listen to God's words that He's speaking through us. And then God will restore you and He will be your gold." Chapter 21 verse, or 22 verse 21 to 27. Uh, 22 verse 21, agree with God. Meaning, we are speaking for God. God is speaking through us. Agree. You'll be at peace. And then in verse 25, Chapter 22, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Well, very ironically, Eliphaz's name means God is my gold. So actually he's saying to Job, Job, if you're like me, then things will go well. (laughs) Where people suffer, I want to encourage you and exhort you to think very carefully before you just speak for God. On behalf of God. Where you come to people and say, The Lord has told me to tell you. That's exactly what Eliphaz does in verse 21. Agree with God. He's speaking through me. God does not take it lightly if you hurt his children and if you speak nonsense in his name. Job responds, chapter 23 and 24. And he says, I just wish I could find God. I wish I can find God and bring my case before Him and argue my case with Him. Chapter 23, verse 3 to 9. I want to ask God, why is He so unfair? 24, verse 1. Why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? Why do those who know Him never see His days? God is unjust. Well, if if you rule the universe... And if you know everything, then you can decide what is just and what is not just. But if you don't rule the universe, well, then you and I need to do what the Bible tells us. To accept that there are some things we do not know. The secret things belong to the Lord. And trust that God has a good plan even with our suffering. People may mean things for evil against us. God means it for good. God will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and he will make us more like Christ through our suffering. Bildad answers, or speaks in chapter 25, a very short chapter, six verses, as if to say, you know, his friends are running out of arguments now. But Bildad says, no one is pure before God, and nothing is pure before God, and neither are you pure before God, Job. Chapter 25, verse 4 to 6, and then Job responds in a whole lot of chapters um, chapter 26 to 31 and he says you know my conscience doesn't bother me chapter 27, 4 to 6 and I, I have not oppressed the poor like you say I have I've helped the poor chapter 29, 12 to 17 and I'm not I'm not aware of any sin of any secret sin like you accuse me of the whole of chapter 31 basically God answer me 31 verse 35. Answer me. Oh that I want to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. And Perhaps you've asked these kinds of questions. You've perhaps said like Job. What have I done wrong that God punishes me like this? Well let me ask you. Does your conscience bother you? Have you transgressed God's word? Have you been disobedient? Well, if not, then stop beating yourself. And if so, then confess your sin and find forgiveness. And then we have a bonus round in chapter 32 to 37. This is another friend, a younger guy called Elihu or Elihu, and he then speaks and he really says nothing new. He also says, Job, you've sinned, that's why God is punishing you. Chapter 34, verse 8, Um, he says, he speaks of Job really as a wicked person. Verse 7, Job, and then verse 7, he travels in company with evildoers, he walks with wicked men. And then chapter 34, verse 11, Elihu says, For according to the work of a man, God will repay him. According to his ways, he will make it befall him. So that's why this is happening, it's because you've sinned. And then verse 36 and 37 of chapter 34, would that Job were tried to the end because he answers like wicked men. He adds rebellion to his sin. In other words, he's already done sin and now he's even rebelling against God. And then Elihu even says to Job, God won't answer you, Job. He will not answer you, you evil. Chapter 35, verse 13, surely God doesn't hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. Well, oh, very strange, God did answer Job. And then 37, verse 24, <coughs> Elihu says, Therefore men fear God. God does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Well, why did God answer Job then? So Elihu doesn't say anything new, and yet he is right when he says that the Messiah is your only hope, Job. Chapter 33, verse 22 to 28. 33, 22. He's sold raw nears to the pit, speaking of... Uh, Job, his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, just meaning a messenger, a mediator. Ah, there's the Messiah. One of the thousand to declare to man what is right for him. And he is merciful to him and says, Deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 26. Then man prays to God, he accepts him. He sees his face, he restores man, and so on. Verse 28, he has redeemed my soul from going down. That's Christ. Redeemed me. So he's right. Job knew this. Job knew his only hope is a Messiah. His only hope, he needs a mediator who can represent him before God. Chapter 17, verse 19 and 21. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. He who testifies for me is on high. Verse 21. He would argue my case with uh, the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. And so he trusts in this mediator. And he longs to see this Messiah. One day, finally, on the day of resurrection, when the dead are raised, he hopes to see the Messiah. Chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Oh that my words were written uh, verse twenty five says, I know my redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I'll see for myself, my eyes will behold and not another, my heart faints within me. And so we need to find the perspective in that sense where Job was at least in a good place at that moment where he he, he had a long term vision. Not just seeing, oh, I need to be restored, I need my prosperity back. But seeing, I want life in God's presence. More than just prosperity in this life. But how can a sinner come? How can a sinner come before a holy God? We need Job's mediator. We need Job's mediator. That mediator who is God and man. That mediator who can can lay his hands on both sides. Who can bring God and man together because he himself is God and man. Chapter 9, verse 32 to 33. For God is not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There is no mediator between us or orbiter, no mediator between us who might lay his hand on us both. But that is where Jesus comes in. Where Jesus is the one who can lay his hands on both sides because he is God and man. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus So the question is, is He your mediator? Is He your rock and friend and Savior? Well, if so, then you are not alone in your suffering. And you even have the wonderful, wonderful hope of eternal life with Him. Finally, number three, the restoration. Chapters 38 to 42. So God does appear to Job as He asked... He appears in a whirlwind, chapter 38. And he says to Job, Where were you, Job? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the the world, of the earth? 38, verse 4 to 11. Where were you when I created the universe? Can you control the weather? Can you control the constellations? Can you control the galaxies? Can you control the stars? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Thirty-eight, thirty-one. Can you lead forth the Masaroth, also probably a constellation in this season? Can you guide the Bear, that's a constellation with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Come on, Joe. Let's see you control the weather and the constellations. Have you given the wild animals all their fantastic abilities? Can you take care of the wild animals? Whole of chapter 39. I want to see that. I want to see you. I want to see you control the mighty behemoth and Leviathan. Chapter 40 and 41. Come on. Now, some Bibles translate it with the, the hippo and the crocodile. But that's a very inaccurate translation. You simply read to, need to read chapter 40 and 41 to see. This is no mere hippo and crocodile. These are mighty dinosaurs. These are mighty beasts. Um, and some might say, but well, dinosaurs died out before man came to this world. No, they didn't. Death, death only came into the world when Adam and Eve sinned. And the death of creatures also, the death of the rest of creation. Romans 8, verse 19 to 22. So it's as if God is saying to Job, I've, I created these mighty beasts, these dinosaurs. And you want to fight against them? No, you can't. No, you can't fight them. So if you can't even control the creature, how do you want to, how, how do you want to challenge me, the creator? And Job realizes God's ways are too complex for me to understand. And he lays his hand upon his mouth and he asks for forgiveness. He repents in dust and ashes, uh, chapter 42, verse 1 to 6. And he says, I repent. I'm sorry, Lord. I should not have challenged you. And then the book ends where God restores Job's riches and his family. He has ten children again. His brothers come back to him and obviously he's uh, his relationship with his wife is right because they have ten children, and and then God gives him a long life. It ends with that: 140 years more he lived. Not the total of his years, but what he had already lived plus 130 or 140 more. And he sees his sons, and his sons' sons, four generations, and then he dies, an old man and full of days. Why does God restore Job's riches? Is it because Job has done something good? Well, no. That's the point of the book. He didn't suffer because he did something bad, and he's not prosperous because he did something good. God just thinks this is wise at this time in his life to bless him in this way. We don't understand it. So, so the lesson is very clear. God's ways are not our ways. And we don't know. We don't know. We don't always understand why do the righteous suffer. And it's because we don't know that we simply have to apply 1 Peter 5, verse 6 to 11. Verse 6, submit to God in your suffering. Submit to God, bow the knee, and wait on Him till He exalts you at the right time. In verse 7, cast all your burdens on Him. You must understand God cares for you in your suffering. Pour out your heart before Him in prayer. And then be careful of Satan, verse 8. He wants to destroy you through these sufferings. <clears throat> and then understand that you're, you do not suffer alone. There are other Christians who suffer like you do. Verse 9. And remember, your suffering won't be very long. Jesus will almost come again. Verse 10. And then verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So bow the knee. Bow the knee before him who rules over all like a story i heard at a conference this pastor said that his friend had uh, got gotten brain cancer terminal cancer and his friend was dying and when he visited his friend in the hospital his friend said rick is god sovereign over my brain cancer and rick said yes he is and his friend got tears in his eyes he closed his eyes. He lay his head back on the pillow and said. Well if God is sovereign over my brain cancer. Then I will be able to bear it. And yet even if we speak of the sovereignty of God in our suffering. Do not think. God is the sovereign monster and he stands. Indifferent toward your suffering and your pain. God is not cold toward you. God Understands your suffering. Because he was there. He died on a cross. He became man and died on a cross. He understands your suffering completely. And at the right time. The hour he has determined. Jesus will return. And finally and fully. Triumph. Over all our suffering. Amen. Father in heaven. I pray for your grace and your mercy for those who suffer and those who are going through difficult times, that you would pick them up in their suffering and remind them, you are God and you care for your children. Amen.